through the wire. Do, 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 do. You gotta work the motion. Bam! Or the ocean. Bam! I didn't know. I didn't know. I've gotten so many guns from this Bitcoin. I have an idea. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to... Buckle up, baby. Episode... 20. It's nice to celebrate Double round digits. numbers. Yeah. Episode 20. 20. That's pretty cool. And we're just cruising right along here. Yeah. Um, the setup has uh, gotten a lot easier. Streamlined. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, it's at the mm-hmm. point now where it's just a part of the ether of yeah. our creative world. Yeah. A little more, we do a little warm-up. That's great. Um, we do this oh, pre, yeah. we do this pre-podcast off-camera, basically, when we're setting up, and we, yeah. we basically just drain ourselves uh, of all good things to say. You know it'd be funny for the Patreon one day? <laughs> yeah. You can get the warm-up. Of how we set up and everything? Yeah, yeah like we, we film us setting up, and you get that as part of the Patreon, because that's yeah. the good stuff, really. Patreon is an, is an interesting thing. I keep thinking about it, because I launched my own Patreon for AJ Comedy. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm at zero patrons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have Your been ske- uh... no, I have been scheming to you. Yeah, my parents just became fifty thousand dollar patrons. <laughs> so nice, homie. No, I, uh, I, um, I've been scheming and figuring out how to do it. Yeah. To what? No, that's that's a tough that's a tough place to be. You launch it, and, and well, I didn't expect necessarily anything because there is a different mo of how to convert these mm-hmm. followers. And subscribers yeah. into paying people. I know there's a mechanism, yeah. and there are things people talk about: raffles and giveaways. Hey, guys, first people to sign up, put in five dollars, mm-hmm. become a patron, and I'll give you an Xbox 360. It feels a little dirty, but not really. It's like a fun way to try to give people something as opposed to just asking them yeah. to sign up. Like, what's the incentive? What's the game? There are people with a mind for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have it yet. I don't have it either. I'll get better at it with time, I would imagine, but. The simple answer is the simple question is sign up. I'm giving you all the way, all this free content. It's entertaining. And if you like it, come become a patron. It seems so simple, but human psychology doesn't really work that way because people will be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Well, yeah. So with the newsletter, I, I was like, I'm going to push for probably for the first time my whole creative life. I'm going to really push this thing and ask family mm-hmm. and friends, like, like, implicitly please sign up and subscribe Mm -hmm. and in my head i I thought to myself if i ask all of my friends to do it i think like if i got 25 subscriptions i'm not even asking for money i was Mm -hmm. like i think if i get 25 that would be a success right asking everyone i know i was like on the high end if i got 100 that would be like a huge success no but really like um i already think that's a mistake by the way to think of it like that as an ask it has to be Mm -hmm. From, and this is what all the content creators will tell you. It has to be what's in it for them. You have so, to think about, here's what you'd get if you sign up for this. So, and I want to provide you with something. So not way, provide me with a favor. So the way I did it, I don't know if you, you, might, I don't know if you signed up. But the way I, I probably didn't. I don't think I got anything for it. The, I sent you a text. The way I did it Okay, is, so there you go. It didn't work even on me. And I'm your fucking co-host. But you don't read. I skim. You skim. It's not, it's not for the skimmers. No, the way I did it is I sent out. I created the first issue. And I sent out, here's what it's going to look like. It'll take you like a minute to read. If you like it, please subscribe. So that so that was kind of the. If it's such a short ask, and I didn't even sign up, then yeah. something is well, not lot, working. Well, I got like a hundred sign up. So I mean, I got eighty. So it did. So people did Ooh. do it. <laughs> okay. No, no, but people signed up. Yeah. But um, now they got to get something. No, and the truth is, you're not in. Um, I love you, but you're not in the demographic. I don't think I'm trying to like reach. You're not someone who I think would enjoy what I'm putting down. And, and truthfully, I don't want. 
my, my goal really is like I got 80 signups from people who like know me and like me. Right. I, 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 and this sounds like BS, but ideally half of those people would drop away who don't actually want what I'm sent, what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And they would swap with people who might like it. So like they'd send it to a friend of theirs. So they were like, I think you'd enjoy this. And they would kind of drop out. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. so I don't like, I don't want. Obviously, it'd be nice to have like a you, you don't want but favors. I, I don't want favors. Like, yeah. and I, I don't think you're probably in the demographic. Yeah, remember back in the day when we were like in high school and early college, I'd be like, come to the show, come to the show, you should come. So, like, the first one you came to had a good time, mm-hmm. second one. But by the third or fourth ask, you're like, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can come. Like, because right. it wasn't necessarily what was in it for you unless you really liked it. Right. I couldn't expect even my closest friends to like keep showing up, with the exception of maybe parents who just would come because yeah. they're boomers and yay, we'll come. Yeah. But, it has to be something that they're getting out of it. That's what I've learned in doing content. Right. People respond not to promo, like, hey, do us a favor. Come on down. We really need We really need this. Yeah. I really need this. Do yeah. it for me. It's like, how do you frame things in such a way and actually deliver in such a way where you're offering consumers something? Right. And once I started thinking that way, it becomes a little easier, but I still don't know exactly how to do that other than keep continuously giving away stuff for free and accumulating the audience how to monetize the audience i mean and that's what my patreon video is sort of like with your support what i'm going to be able to do is offer you guys better quality content that's what i presented in my ask in my patreon something like your video with with tyler Mm -hmm. like the video with tyler is like good stuff right. right got like a few hundred thousand views right yeah. what if you what if you tyler fisher comedian yeah, friend really funny great comedian. great comic and yeah. we recently collaborated on uh, on some stuff and we'll be doing more yeah and you made this really successful video yeah. what, what if you did the next one intentionally to be like this is only for my news patreon subscribers mm. and like and and he he knew so like you weren't using him but you're like maybe i'll even pay you 500 dollars to make this video with me or whatever or we'll split mm. some kind of proceeds from it right. and then you put out new video with taylor Subscribe to Patreon. Patrons only. Like patrons only. Yeah, something yeah. like that would be harder to do with a collaborator who has a different Patreon. So I would do something myself and say, right. I'm now starting to release. I think what I, I think you're right. I think what I'd have to do is start feeding the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And then people start to come on board, I as think, opposed to come so. on board. I'll give you stuff, like right. give you stuff, and make it only available to patrons. There's no one there yet, but maybe they'll start to come when they want to watch something. I think so. And then like a friend of ours who's an agent was like telling me you could do raffles, you could do giveaways, you could do all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, the winner gets a free Zoom show with me and it's for patrons only. It's for this. Like you have to create a space yeah. where it feels special and compels people to want to sign up. Yeah. <sighs> but it's just so hard to do that. <laughs> but it's true. Like yeah. people like you do an extra podcast a week for just the patrons. Or if you do How do a, we do it for us? A live you know? show. And yeah. like you gave away tickets to all the patrons. So on that front, I mean, that's empty, but right now, no, but, but like, um, I don't hey, know. We were at Tyler's show in Brooklyn. Remember the yeah. one I opened for? He, yeah. he, he, he said these are mostly patrons and it's, I'm right. fascinated by that process of how to accumulate those people. Cause you know, I'm like, there's 140,000 people supposedly follow yeah. me on TikTok. And there's this funny math get. game that we like to play as non literate, non savvy <laughs> finance people. Uh-huh. We like, you know. If half of those followers <laughs> gave me five one dollar a month, mm-hmm. one dollar a month, done. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know those things where you take out a calculator and you go, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm being savvy with my numbers here in business. <laughs> if I divide by seven, that- adding three hundred sixty-five <laughs> days, twelve months a year for. I'll be making $1,500 a minute in no time. <laughs> it's not so unsavvy, though, to think if 1%, which I think is realistic to think. Like, 1% conversion if rate. If 1% conversion rate would be 1400 <laughs> Here we go. 1400 Yeah, I think it would be 1400 No, no, it would be uh, yeah, it'd be 1400 
It could be. I don't know. <laughs> Should we do, the, do, you have your, do you have your phone on you? Yeah, no. Somewhere else. I, I um, well, 1,400 plus two zeros is 140,000. Hey, yeah. I'll take your word so if you for it. you got 1,400 people to give you $5 a month, that mm-hmm. would be like $7,000 a month, something like that. Right. Something like that. It um, all sounds so doable, yeah. right? But 1%, why, yeah, I mean, like, why couldn't you get 1%? One out of every 100 person, people who follow you. That actually sounds like a lot when you, sit, when you put it like that. One out of every 100. Every 100 TikTok follower. Do you think would give you money? I don't know. I actually like think YouTube subscribers are more willing to convert to paid subscribers than than TikTok because I think TikTok yeah. is the most of of the of the different pat- platforms on the tier. Yeah, it's like TikTok, Instagram, and at the highest level is YouTube. Yeah. Of like someone who subscribes on YouTube yeah. is searching for you, finds you, and then actively subscribes. I think on TikTok it's more like, yeah, oh, cool, I want to hear more of this. What if you did a you know? lot? Because TikTok is about serving TikTok yeah. and not about serving the creators as much as YouTube is about right, right, right. the creator economy where people can really build sustainable business from what i've heard i have an idea yeah you do a live hour-long show um you call it live tiktok you get 60 comics to do a live tiktok tiktok has live on stage no just a a minute long live tiktok and then they switch (laughs) and this massive thumb comes across the stage instead of uh instead of those old school it's just a swipe gets a sign for a like or a dislike that would be such a funny it's thing, a promo. live it's TikTok like showcase promo. where yeah. it's like people stand behind what looks like a screen, but it's really live. Yeah. And then there's... Whoop. You get a minute to do your <laughs> and thing. And the audience swipes or keeps. And it could be anything. Someone could be like hitting their father with like a brick and someone could be doing or like a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like an <laughs> right. shaking on someone dancing to music. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> a live TikTok showcase would be a funny concept. People yeah. would totally come once. Yeah. <laughs> or they would watch the TikTok. Oh, and, and then you do... And uh, you live TikTok stream TikTok on TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> Just a minute long, a minute of the be- every, every live TikTok on TikTok live. <laughs> <laughs> That's meta. Not bad. Yeah. You know what I saw? I was just saying, I was thinking you could give the proceeds to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Have you seen these, uh, prom- these like uh, campaigns to raise money for Ukraine? A little bit. It's, I don't understand. How can you give money to like a sovereign country? What kind of thing is that to do? They have like taxes. Right. Like, who, like, I don't understand why anyone would give their money to the to country Ukraine. Well, I don't know what, what, is, what that? is that. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either. Yeah. They it, raised I, fifteen million dollars of Bitcoin. What? Oh. What? Who? Who's I guess giving it's to their buy weapons to the to the? Yeah, but they're a country. Like like the EU is giving them weapons. Right. Like why do I have to give my money? Why would anyone give All right, their fine. income? Give to- it to Russia, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, you know it's it's the the like. The the the, uh, the mindset of like what we do of right. like like BLM like donate to like you know when when Trump was elected like donate to like women's causes like, I would imagine sh- there's you like should just donate to Ukraine but it's maybe so there's like a the Food Health and Human Services Department of Ukraine that, that takes the money I don't think that's what it is it's saying it's they're saying I think like give money to Ukraine so they can arm their people right it's like like someone sh- yeah like America so you think there's some money. Ukrainian guy saying I've gotten so many guns <laughs> from this Bitcoin <laughs> I heard this guy on on this. Uh, uh, Ukrainian comedian on Tim Dillon's podcast was like Ukrainian. Yes, he's this like, he's actual like, yeah, he's Ukrainian like, guy. He's like, if you are not walking around like armed samurai in Kiev, you are nothing. You are nobody. 
That's I so saw funny. that Tim Dillon connected with a uh, Ukrainian yeah, comic. Yeah, yeah. And I know he had his fun. He had his fun with him. Part, his yeah. tweets have been off the charts on this whole thing. Tim, I'm, I'm not. On you're, if you're against nuclear war, I don't even want to hear your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Just like really crazy, hilarious, really obviously in true Tim Dillon fashion. Um, um, so I, I to- love the Paul family more than I love the like Jake Paul said like, said like Tim Dillon is a great follow and he just like responds I don't know he says the I love the Pauls like they're my own family <laughs> um, I should get on Twitter just to follow him but anyway, so I wanted to talk about something right before it came I was watching Genius what? which you, you weren't sure what it was isn't Genius like a YouTube show that like features different things no so it's J E E N dash Y U H S it's on Netflix okay. it's a three part documentary about Kanye. Oh, yes, genius. Of course, I say the new Kanye cuz that's how they say it Kanye? in the documentary. Yeah. Kanye. 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 Yes. So I wa- I had watched the it was the first part premiered at Sundance. Um which nine which was, ser- nine part series? It's three it? parts. Uh-huh. Each is like over 2 hours. Wow. Um but this guy uh Cody followed he he met Kanye when Kanye was like right seven like he's been documenting young, him forever since forever yeah. before he had a career. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't. I, I'm really curious how that financially worked. Like, mm-hmm. like who paid? Him? I don't know. It's crazy. Maybe he was he just has, a posse guy and just started filming. Uh, it seems like he was with him all the time. I yeah. wonder if kind of paid for it. I don't know. So, and he turned it into this documentary. So the first part was really cool. Um, I've seen clips. I'm like, it's all cool because yeah. I've seen some of these as viral release little snippets yeah. on YouTube before, like Kanye rapping for Pharrell, his song. So, so, yeah. So, so I was watching. So the second part is about he basically the, the first part is about how he goes from um, he's a he's a really successful producer, but yeah. he wants to be a rapper. Mm-hmm. Nobody else wants him to be a rapper. And the first part is how he gets Rockefeller Records to sign him as a rapper. Mm-hmm. So like he basically like we talked last week, gets to the top of the mountain mm-hmm. at the end of the first part. Top of the hill or the top of the mountain. Top of the hill. Yeah. Well, well, he feels like it's the, it's the top of the mountain, but really it's the foot of the mountain. Of the hill. Top of the hill. Foot of the mountain. Top, top of, the of the hill, hill foot, foot of the, the mountain. mountain. Oh, you know what? I never quite understood that until now. Just you now. do get it. You think you're there, and then oh, sh- there's a lot. Got more. it. Yeah. So, so he's so the second part opens is he he achieves his dream basically. He's like now I'm going to be a rapper, mm-hmm. and it becomes clear that Rockefeller does not take him seriously as a rapper, and they're just sort of signing him so he continues to make beats for their other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like tough because like it's like what else do you do? Like I got I got into I got a, a deal. Like what else do I have to do, which I really relate to right now, mm-hmm. or like where I'm at. Um, so like I so I was like really watching, like really like, rapped. And then they send they send him to LA to make he wants to make a record, but they're like, go to LA and make beats for this other artist we have. We signed after you, who's like a little bit more Rockefeller than you are. So he goes to LA. Who is Rockefeller label? Who owns Rockefeller? That's is like Jay Z and I think this guy Dame Dash. That's he, like all I know. He had produced it. for Jay Z already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 had a really big career as a producer. He yeah. he produced um H to the Izzo. Uh-huh. That was his song with Jay Z. Um, there's just a really amazing moment um, where like he's at a party with Jay Z mm-hmm. and like you're like he produced like one of the, his biggest songs of his career and he's waiting in line to see Jay Z. They like dap up for a second. And and you know Kanye smiles and then Jay Z's like next and you're like like what else do you have to do besides mm-hmm. produce a hit for him to get his attention? It's like mm-hmm. it's like it was, it was. I've seen clips though where he he had a lot of respect for Kanye in the studio and and, and like he was making his music, making his yeah. So and it stuff. doesn't seem but, it. It's not that he doesn't have respect, but like he's like it's not like the thing yet. Mm-hmm. Like so so they send him to L A. He's making these beats that he doesn't want to make and he gets into a car crash mm-hmm. and breaks he his jaw. Breaks his jaw and they have to wire it shut. Mm-hmm. And and then Rockefeller's like, 
you know, if we weren't, if, if you weren't a priority before, you're really not a priority now. Mm-hmm. And he's in this position where he's like, he knows he's a really, really talented rapper. He's he's in the room that he has to be in, right. and it's still not working for him. Yeah. And like, and I I really related to that personally because I like I worked really 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 hard for a long time, not forever, but like five to seven years, sort of whatever it's more seriously than non-seriously and like i got this opportunity to like pitch my show and like i got a manager mm-hmm. and and then also and now and then i'm in this place where it's like the work's not just coming to me like and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even saying like kanye wasn't saying like give me a platinum album he's just like give me the studio time you promised me and mm-hmm. like market my record like you mm-hmm. promised me but like there he's not even getting that out of it and no one made me any promises but it's like it's, it, it feels like, what else do I need to do to, like, get my start? This what was else? resonant with it you. It was resonant for me. And, and, and I've been in the room, too, where I'm on the production side of things, mm-hmm. and I'm watching sort of the talent do what I, what I feel re- I could relate to creatively, like whether it's a VO booth and the actor is singing a song or part of a show, and I'm like, even my bandmates were once like, eh. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like for a cartoon, and yeah. I'm working on it. And he's doing the the lines. Oh, be like, uh-huh. I feel like, oh, I mean, this is like right up your alley. Is that what you want to be doing? Not necessarily. So I wasn't like all like you know. But I thought to myself, huh? Like if that's what it is, like it was demystifying the whole process mm-hmm. for me. And I'm watching, and I'm watching. Like for example, you know, I demoed a song. We wrote a song for this for this movie for Nickelodeon, and the guy had to have a Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. So I demoed the vocal to pitch the song, you know, and it was like, you know, this town is named for you, yes, this town is named for you, and I did it. And the guy that got was Scottish; he did it better than I did it, yeah. you know. And it was fine, I, I, but it just gave me a sense of like, you know, m- my part of it was the services part, mm-hmm. the production part, in the same dynamic that Kanye was servicing the artist, the talent that right. was Jay Z, right. right, and giving his skill and craft and lending it to be part of some bigger picture that ultimately served Jay-Z's vision and Jay-Z's artistry and Jay-Z's fan base. Yeah. Like Jay-Z's fans are bouncing to H to the is O B to, and Jay, they're all there to see him. He's the value. He's the one that it all ends up going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can have a very nice career doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you also want to cultivate your own audience, that has to go beyond industry and it has to go above that, which is sort of, the space I'm occupying now with the content and the podcast is this new opportunity mm-hmm. and new space of cultivate, cultivating direct fans. We're not making this podcast for some podcast company that needs a podcast. Right. You know? Right, right, right. We doing this for us, baby. So so he's... he's I know Angel's <laughs> watching me, holding me down. What's that so, line he says to Pharrell and then Pharrell goes, Oh! 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 When he does his rap in that scene with Pharrell watching the whole time. Oh, I think he says... Uh, I know H Angels watching me from the other side. I forgot what he says. I don't remember what he but says. He's like, he's doing his flow in his yeah. early Kanye days. And, yeah, and, and yeah, Pharrell's yeah. just, Pharrell's great because so, he's so, just so enthusiastic. But yeah, finish your no, point. So, yeah, he, um, so he, yeah, Kanye raps for Pharrell and Pharrell goes, I didn't know. I didn't know. He just keeps saying, I didn't know. I didn't know. This? Pharrell, I didn't know. He's like, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And then he plays him through the wire. He's like, he, he walks out of the room. It's in the video for the, and he goes, yeah. he goes, that was phenomenal. He goes, that was phenomenal. Um, so, so what Kanye says, he's like, I can only express myself 50% through the beats. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's another 50% that I need, I, I can't do unless I'm in front mm-hmm. of the mic. So anyway, so he, he's in the space where he's like, he's in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Like he, he got to the, the, the top of what he thought was the mountain and mm-hmm. it, it, it was, 
I lost the analogy, but like it just it just wasn't the thing. And like, but he realized he was at the top of the hill, foot of the mountain. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, yeah, and um, and so like I mean, it's it's in a place that I relate to of like of like what else do I have to do? I I have sort of like I haven't given up by any means, but I lost a lot of steam. Mm. And like I think like I felt like a little heartbroken. I probably still do, and like sad. And like I'm just sort of like I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. But what he did is he spent his own money. Um, he had a record label. He's supposed to be getting paid for all this. He spent his own money taking studio time from artists who had extra time in their studios and going around finishing up his own album. Mm-hmm. And then he had a release party for it. He invited the founder of the, of the record label there. Um, oh, th- th- then he made, a, he made a video, a music video for his best song. He invited the founder of the record label there. It was like genius. Mm-hmm. And the record label was like, the, Dame Dash is like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. Um, but he like the the like fire of knowing you have something great to share mm-hmm. and just stopping, not letting not letting the circumstances or like the heartbreak stop mm-hmm. you and just going forward. It was like so like it really, 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 really affected me. And I was like when all that happened, I was in high school. I remember standing in my bedroom watching MTV two. And through the wire, do you know that video? Through the wire, it was like the big single from that from that album. It came on. I remember seeing it and being like, "What is this? Like, who is this guy?" What was through the wire? I remember Jesus walks. Jesus walks was the first sort of Kanye song I heard. That was like the the next big. That was the big song, but this was the first song. And it was because the devil's trying to hold me down. That one, yeah. So, so this one, he used the footage from the documentary maker Mm -hmm. um, to make this video. Like they snuck into MTV and like the studios and did it. And like, um, and I remember then he went on Def Jam Poetry to to promote himself. And I I was watching Def Jam Poetry when this guy Kanye came on. I'm like, who is this guy? This guy's like incredible. I remember it was like our year in Israel. Like we were 18. A friend of mine at the time was a friend of ours, mutual friend was like, there's a guy Kanye West on me. You have to check out because he's like, he's like done all the beats and now he's like doing his own thing. You got like, that was his story. Yeah. yeah. But here we go. A little segment on Buckle Up called Chizuk Time. (laughs) (laughs) What is Chizuk, Michael, for the audience? Uh, Strengthening. Strengthening. So here's what's going to happen for you. I know it, man. I could feel it. Here's what's going to happen for you. Similarly, mm-hmm. you're in that space now where like, you've been doing what you do and no one's reacting, in a sense. It, or not enough. You, you've been showcasing it, you think. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is, I think, not that you ignore feedback from other people, but if you, if you really truly believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. and that it's worth recognition, mm-hmm. what happens is, Someone eventually does recognize someone, one thing, some publication, somebody publishes, somebody says, hey, and takes that shot. And then everybody else who was kind of turning the other way and ignoring goes, oh, yeah, 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 I know, Mike, yeah. Like what happens is there's Mm -hmm. sort of this like breach or threshold that you finally you finally push through it. And then it kind of the pressure, like the air pressure of that ignoring energy or mm-hmm. cold shoulder energy you've been feeling like sucks the other way and people go huh oh, what was that what do you mean mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah and then and then there's this it's sort of like i felt that way too at one point where i was like hey i thought i was a good musician like mm-hmm. I, I i really you know i i can do this and i can do that i have these skills and that and not getting there was two periods of time and chunks of of my journey where i'm not getting any recognition i mean most of my college career i spent like watching other people play the big hall mm-hmm. and watching other people start to get together and jam and write and i'm just sort of stuck on the other side of town um 
with the Jews of BU of Boston University hanging there and just wondering like, why am I not creatively active in this school, which is supposed to be like the pinnacle of my, you know, musical existence here, like yeah. with all these, and I'm not getting anything out of it. And why wasn't it? Was. Mainly because I was too good. No, <laughs> mainly because I wasn't socially engaged there. Yeah. I was, you know, I was the only Orthodox Jew, so I was hanging out mostly and eating at the BU Hello House at Boston and mm -hmm. spending my time there. And yeah, I, my, I was busy doing just like some of the schoolwork and just kind of checking that box and doing it. And I wasn't as engaged. And a lot of those people that I thought were like the superstars then, I don't know what happened with them. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I didn't peak then, you know. But at the same time, there are people who still like kept it at, kept at and are, are doing things today from there. But I definitely felt like I'm on the wrong side of this. You know, mm -hmm. in terms of the recognition pool, and it it sucks to feel that way, and it makes you question yourself. Like, it, but what helps is not thinking of it as some sort of cosmic blessing. Like, maybe I'm not the one to be bestowed this recognition mm -hmm. or greatness. Maybe it's just not for me. But then you're ignoring what's right in front of you, which is like what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. When you think in those terms, like it's some out of control lottery mm -hmm. that some people just get get it and make it and some people don't if Kanye thought that way he'd be like I'll just I guess no one's recognizing my music mm -hmm. I'll just produce or I'll go do something else whatever but he didn't now there's a dangerous element to that too where the flip side is you just keep ignoring the feedback that the world right. is giving you and you don't adapt right so it doesn't mean you don't adapt but it's the ability to adapt mm -hmm. in the environment of stress and rejection that pushes you through so, so not the digging your heels in the ground and doing the same thing maybe you're not doing enough it's all and my my main point is that and it's it's all accountable to you. Yeah. The the word adapt is perfect. Yes. Like he was sitting in a hospital bed, the circumstances were what it was. Mm -hmm. He his label was not supporting him right. and he adapted and like I I was just very like moved and by I, that by yeah. his his ability to do that. That is the essential word here because it's not like he just said I'm just going to keep yelling at my label to put out my record and eventually they did it. It's right. like, that's not what happened. He just right. said, screw it, circumvent it. I'm going to keep doing my thing. So you keep doing your thing and you adapt right. your MO and right. means of doing it to make sure it, it eventually becomes undeniably uh, recognizable yeah. and gets the recognition and respect it deserves. Yeah. But you have to find a way to do it, yeah. which is what eventually well, well, you find I mean, your targets. You what's know? hard, I think, is like when you adapt. I mean, like I adapted. I, I, I literally adapted the the one of my scripts into a short film and like mm. that didn't quite work I, I found it hard to like adapt again like again and again it's like um it's Crimey hard river. <laughs> no it is no it's true it is it is crimey river um it's i'm sure um, it's you, been a process though i'm sure this video showed kanye did the show showcased the one thing that did work but maybe he was trying all sorts of things that didn't before that we don't see like you're uh, you're still only getting the highlight reel. Right. So maybe it was also like, you know, and I spoke to this guy and then I had this meeting and nothing panned out here. It's right. like most all the success that we witness mm -hmm. is standing on the heels of a ton of rejection and pivots and turns. Yeah. A ton of them. Like yeah. endless amounts. And it's the people who continue to adapt mm -hmm. and work on their craft and get better and push that mm -hmm. find their way. Because I mean, like you sort of it's sort of like this force that you're putting on everything and it's like water. It's like water. I go <laughs> kung fu on you, you know, but you're pushing here and the water's not going there, but you can go here and you're like, Hey, but I wanted to get there, but eventually you got to get there. So there's amazing clips. If he goes into the, into the marketing people's office at Rockefeller with a tape of Jesus walks and mm. he puts it in and he plays it. Yeah. And like, literally like he's, he's rapping to the marketing person. Someone walks in the room and they just start talking to the person. A year later, he was performing Jesus Walks at the Grammy where mm. he was not at the Grammys where he won, I think album of the year. Right. Like, 
Like, I mean, it's like insane, but that same person then obviously is like, I just didn't see what you were doing. Right. But um, imagine but if to, he played that tape and put, is, imagine is, if he put all of the value and weight on that moment. They right. didn't react to Jesus Walks. I guess Jesus Walks sucks. Totally. Totally. Or maybe he had to push it a different way. Yeah. Um, or maybe he realized, I can't just walk into a room and play it like that. Yeah. Maybe the way it's being received is a problem. Mm -hmm. So it's not the song, but the way it's being received. Maybe it is the song. Maybe you need to work on that. But it, at least you're acknowledging that I need to do something yeah. to get this out. And right. that's the takeaway yeah. here. So, I mean, it's it's tougher. Screenplays are tougher and and easier in, in some ways because there's nothing stopping anyone from going out and shooting something. Mm -hmm. um, but also some projects, they, they're just sort of bigger budget to be done like the way you envision it. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot you can do to bring it to life. Um, Maybe right you need way. more like visual representation of what you do. So it's like short, not just short films, like two minute films. That you could actually get done and then yeah. move on to the next thing. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like, it's hard enough to... Screenplays are different because they're unfinished by definition. Right, know? right. As opposed to little songs. Like, the, yeah. the advantage a songwriter or producer has is they can make it start to finish. It's a finished creative entity. It's tangible and it's done. Yeah. Out into the world, see how it does, move on. Yeah. Screenplays will always be unfinished until they're made into yeah. films. I mean, the problem, the, intention I, there. the problem I'm feeling now is like it. It feels like it. It's not quite. It, the problems are really not me or the material. It's like the, um, the industry and like what's being bought now, what's mm -hmm. not being bought. I mean, obviously, like if something, you know, things that are great get get bought eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does seem just like the time there's like certain times where things are, you know, maybe like six months prior, Kanye's music was not resonant and like well, six months later it was, I, I don't, if I don't you're know. manifesting in the moment, what would you want to be happening right now? That isn't, um, what would I want to be happening right now? Um, that isn't, you're saying there's yeah. this void, there's this frustration I'm feeling bummed about. What is it that would flip that circumstantially? Um, just opportunities to uh, tell it to mama. Opportunities to pitch the projects or get paid to write other people's projects. Um, yeah. And are you doing everything to make those things happen, or those things just aren't happening and it's bumming you out? So I mean, like I, you're pursuing those actively, I, those I'm, channels. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I I'm thinking a lot about what else I can be doing. I'm not entirely sure what else I could be doing. So besides, maybe thinking is besides the problem? Writing, besides writing more, which I'm doing, and sort of being patient and like just continuing to put out more good material and being patient. Right. And what do you mean? When like, you say putting out, what do you mean? Well, I'll, t I'll tell you the... Maybe maybe you could tell me, tell, like have some thoughts on this. Like from what I'm seeing, like a lot of the advice I'm getting from a lot of people is like, like, you know, let's say I, I sent some – one of my projects was sent to, like, Spike Lee's people, and they mm -hmm. really liked it. But, like, it's not something Spike Lee – he doesn't, like, work on finished projects. It's, like, mm -hmm. not – probably just not quite the exact thing he's looking for. So, like, they like me, but, like, not the project. So, like, that's a win. Inside Man 2? That's cool. I love it. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. Um, so so that's cool. That That's, like, a win. But then, then like, the next, the next, like, advice you get is, like, well, just show up to their office. Like, they just need to know you. They just need to, like – but, like, what I'm understanding a little bit about this industry is, like, it's not – it's not so well respected to kind of, like – like, you have to go through certain channels or you're really not taken seriously, like, mm -hmm. through the agents and the managers. And also, I think the thing that really bums me out is, like, it doesn't seem like there's much I can be doing besides – his company just having different intentions. Like they like the material, they like the writing, 
Um, it's it's just not they're they're just not gonna do it. Mm. Like I'm not sure what I can do besides write good material. Yeah, for the right people. There are things. You, yeah, so tell me. Have you considered becoming trans? <laughs> <laughs> Which some people have told me that helps. I um, don't think, but that's not the answer. So, well, the the messed up thing is like at at this level. Like, if you shut up with a mangina to the office, you are in. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Here's yeah. the real answer. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you the real answer. Yeah, the creative, being talented, being creative, having good stuff, is necessary, mm-hmm. not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Necessary, not sufficient. Mm-hmm. You're competing in a in a pool where there's a lot of good stuff. I I lost presumably out, I lost a, out to Nathan Fielder on like on on like a producer. Great, which, which is cool. But a compliment right, but what to do you. Do about that. So you have to, I think, recognize it's not the problem. Isn't my creative output? Yeah. It's getting the validation it needs. Great, that's a really good thing. Yeah, because there are plenty of people where it's. They'll get something and they finally get it in front of somebody and it's not ready to be read. There's a lot of technical work that needs to be done. And that's not your issue. Good. Now the hard work begins. So the hard Mm -hmm. work is the social aspect of it. Most of these final opportunities become solidified and crystallized in my experience because somebody's like, oh, yeah, why don't you call Michael? I I just had coffee with him the other day at this thing. We were at some get-together. We were at this thing where you formed a relationship or a connection with somebody mm-hmm. who could eventually make a project move. The social game yeah. is the other half of it. In other words, the relationships that you form and the, the you know, sort of good vibes you put out in terms of social connections with these people, relationships with mm-hmm. these people. You're getting, has, you're getting skeptical, but let me but finish. Here. Yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. In other words, you know, a lot of my... Like some of the stuff that happened musically for me, what changed was not that necessarily not necessarily that the music got better. Mm-hmm. It's just that it was digested and consumed from a place of trust from the person receiving it. Because I met this person and then formed a little bit of a relationship and established a little bit of a connection with enough people that yes, I think the music did get better too, but that wasn't the game changer. The game changer was, oh yeah, yeah, I I know Ami. Um, we have a little bit of some sort of rapport. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that makes it through the filter of everything else. So that when the opportunity does come around, I'm the person that they're thinking of. Yeah. Or that in that serendipitous way say, yeah, actually, I do have a thing that it could work for. Mm-hmm. Spike's team loved it, but they're not interested in that around. But you know who I do know? This person. And you guys should meet. You know, so it's that serendipity yeah. is really just, it's a dirty word, but the network. It's yeah. It's making yourself... Present on the radar of the people who could eventually see your projects to to fruition. Mm -hmm. And it sounds calculated and a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. dirty, but it's not. It's just everybody, there's an understanding when you're working in an industry where you're not just trying to make friends. You are, you're trying to have relationships with people, but everyone's trying to do something. There's a, there's a larger macro creative agenda, trying to make films or TV or short, uh, you know, visual media projects, whatever you're trying to do, you know, that's our, that's a given. Mm -hmm. So, in that, you have to just make and establish relationships with people that will yeah. eventually do it. And it could be that your relationship area is suffering or is not as existing. Well, that's for sure. A, a friend of mine, Lawrence, said last week, he said, most problems are people problems. Right. And, like, so you, what you need are people solutions. Right. Um, so, like, he's like, instead of writing for a day, think about what you could do to find people solutions. So in my Which, early days, I was going to the Billboard Film and TV Music Conference just to meet a bunch of people who, when the time came, could be some somebody I could solve a problem yeah. for. You know what my problem is though? When people yeah. meet me, they like me less. 
No. I think that's my problem. It I'm I'm joking, but I'm not I don't like like networking at conferences is like not my like not my strong suit, especially when I don't have much to offer. I used to love it when I was working in startups and I was I was in a position at a startup where I could like help other people, like I could make a partnership or in, like I knew a lot of people I could introduce people. So going to these events was awesome because I'd meet someone and immediately be like, like how can I help you? Oh, mm-hmm. you need this? Like and then all of a sudden like I it's right. like it's a great interaction. When I'm the one looking for something, right. I find it very difficult to sure. to ha- to make a good impression. I don't know. Yeah. How do you feel be- about that? Because you have to let go of the idea that I'm here to for someone to try to get me something. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to make friends. Yeah. That you know how to do. You know yeah. how to like make an impression that's not a creative impression. You don't have mm-hmm. to think like that. You can always tell the noobs and the overzealous people from established people when you're at these conferences mm-hmm. because people who are kind of new and green are handing out cards. Yeah, yeah, and they're dropping what they're working on right away. And the people who are a little more, a little less... We're not as overzealous. Yeah. Are just talking. You forget. Oh, we're all human beings. Oh, we're all fans of writing. And I, in my case, music. You, you get past that initial like everyone fronting. It's sort of like the development mm. of the of, of one's personality. Right. You know, you learn how to like you know when you go through adolescence, you're like oh you're trying to showboat all the time, and then you realize oh, can we all just relax? Mm. Like we're all just you come back to your sort of pure self of I'm just a regular person with right. regular problems just like you. And most of your conversation should not be about shop. Because it's yeah. a given that you're you're there, right? You're at a thing. It, they know you're up to something. So yeah. talking about family, kids, life, everything else that you know how to discuss with anybody, that should be the medium and the, the by which you like engage with with people of your industry. Maybe. It's much more effective that way because then somebody's gonna who are they gonna remember? All the people who pitch them crap, right? Or I like Michael. That was that was a nice talk. We right. should get together. Yeah, listen, follow up with me, man. That was you know you know. You're, Mark, you're a good dude. Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just fought like, let's get together. Next time you're in, in New York or I'll come to LA, we'll, yeah. we'll touch base. You form a relationship. No. I wouldn't even say a friendship, like friendship, sure. Maybe that's even further down the road. But a connection, a relationship that's human is much more impactful for your career than, than, than you know, having it just based on shop. Yeah. Because it doesn't start that way. Human beings just don't work that way. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I guess what what I, what I run up against, and you find those stories yeah. happen all the time. Before, yeah. you, like, oh, how did it end up happening that you got cast in this and this? Oh, well, actually, we met at this thing. We were yeah, and we started like just hanging, and then it, we were just like, yeah. It turns out he's a great actor. It turns out yeah. I'm a great writer. It doesn't turn out that way. It was always the case, right. and it's not yeah. um, it's not accidental that they met up. But you know what I mean. Now, what you're saying is objectively true, and like I I, I have no argument against it. <laughs> and that's episode twenty, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, no, and it's it's something I need to do. COVID's made made that difficult, of course. Um, but but no, it's something I definitely need to be working on. I think w- what I run up against is is I still I I guess I believe on some level is like truthfully, regardless of the relationship, there are just certain industry and like business considerations and circumstances that that just sort of make certain things impossible like it's it's impossible is a big word but like no matter how much someone likes you the more famous person is going to get there is going to get the deal just because of like the way the industry works now is like ip and like pre-existing markets or just everything yeah and i don't buy into that that much because i just think that's yeah, I, ultimately like until all of a sudden yeah it turns out the industry was one way for five right. years and then all of a sudden it changed yeah. i don't know how until that happened. all of a sudden right so like so, so you, you want to be there and be there. you want right. to be the until all of a sudden right. there really are no rules other than how do those all those people get famous right before you what do you think happened right 
they weren't. How did they beat the famous people before them? Based on that logic, because when they started, they weren't always famous. No, well, it wasn't. I mean, the, the industry does shift. Like seven years ago, it wasn't quite the same. The, there was stuff being bought that wasn't that wasn't intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just it just almost doesn't exist now. What? Like like meaning, can you define that further? What yeah, you're talking every about? when you turn on Hulu, Netflix, and TV, mm-hmm. maybe not broadcast it. When you turn on Hulu and Netflix. I would say nine and a half out of ten of the shows you're going to watch are based on an article, a book, or a celebrity's life. Mm-hmm. Like meaning like if you're writing original stories out of right. sort of whole cloth, they're, they're simply just not being produced. So check out this future headline. So, you know, it's, it turns out what happened with Michael Weber and the reason he took off was there was so much saturation of intellectual property content out there and people were sick of it. I think people were just craving intellectual stories. That's the only way I can explain why Michael Weber ascended <laughs> to writing superstardom because what you were able to do, I'm being hypothetical, no, no, no. So but I, you see what I'm saying? So, so I think the, I, the best argument against it is like you said, just like when it does shift, you want to be there. Yeah. yeah. And there's a concept of, in entertainment of just the undeniability of something. So at the end of the day, any executive can have their opinion, but they only know so much. Mm-hmm. And that ter- oftentimes is very little. They mm-hmm. know um, almost like they're in the game at the same time that something takes off. So they ride with it. But you'll find that, you know, oh, it turns out they thought they knew all these things and they were the establishment authority until right. everything changed. So they just went to that. Oh, well, you know, now, now it is. Everyone wants original. Nobody wants it. Like that's out of, you know, right. out of, uh, what should we call it? Out of the trend. Style. Out of style. The point is you have to be the one responsible for your output, yeah. and that output means everything, creative and social, mm-hmm. because I think people forget that the social aspect is, is, you know, like I said, sufficient, necessary, yeah. not sufficient for the talent, but what comes in front of that is the social game. So mm-hmm. the social game happens, that opens the door for you, that forms the connection, and then when they get behind the door, yeah. they have to see something good, otherwise you've just made a friend, fine, but you haven't made something that's going to form into a bigger creative opportunity, like you know? So it's like dating. This whole game is dating. You, you want to get married. Mm-hmm. You want someone, you, want, you keep proposing to people and, and, and saying, marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me. And they're like, uh, I mean, you seem like a good guy. The stuff is good. Everything looks good on paper, but I'm not ready to marry you. Mm-hmm. You have to date. You got to work the motion. Bam! Or the ocean. Bam! <laughs> it's a quote from some old, like, Steve Harvey, one of those <laughs> classic Tyler Perry movies. It's like, you know, it's all about the motion of the ocean. But I use dating analogies all the time yeah, because it's about a waterbed. You really have to think. It is. Is that what There's that more is? motion in the ocean. Motion of the ocean. I think ocean is pe- is is a dick. The motion of the ocean. Man. Remember that movie, The Ladies, the ladies man? man? Leon Phelps, The Ladies yeah, Man. That ladies is such man. a good movie. <laughs> if that's what it's from. That's what I think I'm quoting. Yeah. It's about the motion. Bam. In the ocean. Of the ocean. Yeah, because he has a waterbed on his uh, oh. on his houseboat. So in any, I think that's the best way to formulate it, the argument or the case I'm making. You have to date before mm-hmm. you get married. Yeah, so every, yeah. you, what, you, what you're missing out on is you're trying to skip to marriage, which is like a commitment to your project in yeah. a real way. And you got to date the person yeah. first. They have to get to know your sensibilities. They have to get to know all these things because there's a lot of trust they're bestowing in you. And they're not even, it's all subconscious. Yeah. And then they're going to be like, you know, I used this producer over that producer or this writer over that producer or this engineer because I, I kind of liked him. Right. He had the skills. So did they all did. Yeah. Who won? Who, who's the one who got picked in the pot? Right. It's like we had a connection. I don't know. I, I got a good vibe. Yeah. And most collaborations and successful ones work that way. That's a good idea. My manager's idea was that I pretend to be a German heir and just like throw money around and say like my father has a trust fund, like rents like expensive hotel this rooms. This is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Inventing Anna on Netflix? No. Oh, it's no, really it's, good. No. I you, mean, it's, You watch way too much TV and I watch way too much nonsensical every content. Every episode is an hour and a half. It's crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Um, but that's my chizuk and my advice. That's my advice. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It makes you know? a lot of sense. I like that. And I think for a lot of people, it's useful info because I like looking at it that way. Date before right. you get married. Your people are said when you hand out a card. Yeah. Work with me. Sign me. Right. I have the skills. I have the talent. That's like walking up to a girl and saying, "I'm I'm husband material. Let's do it." Right. You might be. You probably are. Yeah. But you can't expect her to, or or him or yeah. whoever. Can't expect that significant other yeah. to jump right on board without establishing rapport and relationship that works. Well, I look at people like Kanye and Andrew Schultz. Yeah. And like I think in music and comedy, especially, mm-hmm. it's really exciting now and exciting things are happening because all you need is a stage and a mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just, or like, and a phone. Or like a guitar. Yeah, exactly. So like someone like Andrew Schultz, like, you know, he just went out and did his own thing yeah. on his own. And, like, you can do that if you're a comedian. Um, and it's 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 awesome. And he, he talked, okay, so I just so watched. Who's Andrew Schultz? Andrew also, Schultz. Yeah. I, I love Andrew Schultz yeah. and everything he's about. Um, comedian and content creator extraordinaire. He's created a comedic, a comedy empire. He's the host of the Flagrant 2 podcast with Akash Singh. Singh, yeah. And um, Brilliant Idiots. Brilliant Idiots with Charlemagne. So he was recently interviewed on this great- And he has a show on Netflix. Wait, what else does he do? He, What's his empire? His empire? He does his tour, yeah. which has become like- uh, Let's take it from the top. Andrew Schultz. I mean, I recently watched an interview, deep dive with him, mm-hmm. which was really good to see because he does a lot of shtick and funny stuff online. But to get a kind of behind-the-scenes serious interview with him uh, was great. And it was on a show by these guys, Colin and Samir. If I help, I'm getting the name right. Colin and Samir. And I recommend this to everybody watching. You should check out this channel, Colin on and Samir, a YouTube channel. I don't know their full backstory, but they are content creators in their own right. They've built up a YouTube channel and a YouTube presence. And they dedicate now all of their – they have this whole channel dedicated to exploring the creator economy. And it is just so fascinating because it isn't just, oh, this guy's trending on TikTok. This guy's funny. This guy's talented. It's these are businesses. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at these businesses. These are all small businesses, entrepreneurial pursuits uh, of people building up their entire economies with their niche audiences. I love when when people take like newsmakers seriously, like mm-hmm. the same way you compare them to Crystal Cigar. Mm-hmm. Like when like they don't just look at Jeff Zucker getting fired from CNN as like, oh, he must not have done a good job. Mm-hmm. They're like, these are really smart business people with mm-hmm. like lives like like what are they really thinking so right. these guys are looking at these people that we sort of don't take seriously but be like they're really smart i mean guys like the way tim dylan spoke about this on on, on uh joe rogan where yeah. he was like I, I understand people like uh jimmy fallon he's not rambo he's this <laughs> minecraft player uh-huh. a gamer who has amassed millions of followers or mr beast you know who mr beast is i just discovered him I'm like the last person on earth to discover him. You know, uh, the Nelk like Boys 20, MetaCard raised $28 million. Yeah, Mr. Beast has 20 million subscribers on YouTube or something. Crazy. Yeah. And there's a video of him from like 2011 or something. He's like, if uh, we see this video in 10 years, we'll see how I do. And it's like a handheld camera. Marquise Brownlee. You know who that is? No, I don't know who that is. You do. You do. I don't. You do. Oh, who is he? <laughs> he? You ever see those Apple tech reviews by this slick looking black guy? He's very thin. And he's like, so the reason iPhones and he's like... He he runs tech reviews. He does a. There's a world of YouTube that I, oh, I I'm I, really I, not. I, most people aren't. Have you ever like looked up an Apple product and wanted to see a review on it? And it's like comparing iPhone 13 to 12 no. and all its features. So he does like the slickest tech review videos in that space, yeah. and he dominates it. Yeah. And now he's got like a million dollar studio. Mm-hmm. He's created an entire a brand. Million dollar studio. Yeah, yeah, and he has a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar camera called the RoboCam. That he was featured on Colin and Samir also because they covered cool. him and his yeah. space and what he's built. Right. This a massive, massive brand and production facility where they film tech products and review products. And he started in his room with a with 
an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's just yeah. like, so I want to talk about uh, the new Xbox. Like, you know, and it's it's just an amazing time to be an independent creator because the possibilities are there if you put yeah. in the time and the work. So I really believe it. And you watch his evolution over the years. And we watch these other podcasters that started out yeah. on a stack of books with an iPhone. So I'm feeling good. Yeah. And it's promising. It's a good space to be in as the ride of as the ride is taking off. But yeah. anyway, on Colin and Samir, they, so they covered this world yeah. in depth and it's great, great stuff. And they talk about the numbers. They talk about the business of the creator economy. And they had Andrew Schultz on to break down where comedy was, mm -hmm. where it is and where it's going. And his whole journey of, uh, of how he, of how he created his comedy empire. And that encompasses his, you know, his touring as a, as a stand-up comic uh, his specials that he puts out. He's had a bunch of specials, some straight to YouTube, and then he had one to Netflix where he was doing rants during the pandemic, and mm -hmm. it got picked up by Netflix. And so he has his tour, and he's trying to turn a whole... He's trying to change the game of, like, what a stand-up comedy show is. Mm -hmm. So he's like, we're competing with these arena rock stars. Like, we need to bring more to the table. Yeah, a mic is great, but he wants he wants to make it, like, this rock star experience was for the audience. Was he in the MMA before? Or was he in the UFC before? No, that's Brendan Schaub. He doesn't have any fighting experience, Andrew Schultz. Andrew Schultz? No. I thought he was a fighter. No, that's Brendan Schaub you're thinking of? Who no. talks like, hey, <laughs> that's that guy who's crazy. There's that guy. So was Andrew Schultz always a comedian? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't know why I thought he was a fighter. You're thinking of Brendan. I mean, he's the only guy I could think of that did an MMA to comedian crossover. I think people compare him to like a boxer, like the way he sets up his jokes. Oh, I, you know what it is? Yeah. Oh. I mean, you did that, I think. What? Like he's like, You're like, he's a fighter. He like he Fights like, with the crowd. No, no, he fights with the crowd, but he, the way he he sets up a joke is very like he'll like punch you a little in the stomach, then right. like wait, you know, he waits for the, right. the knockout, you know. Maybe I we I don't saw know why him he live. Use that. We saw him live, yeah, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, but you know what it is? I think there's a thing where he covered an MMA fight or a boxing fight and mm -hmm. claimed to be the best commentator in the world. There was like some online joke about it. Maybe uh, that's what you're thinking. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, he describes his whole thing about how he was just gradually putting out more and more content on yeah. YouTube when it was not seen as like the standard thing to do at all not even not standard but like almost faux pas to like put out your jokes mm -hmm. like no you got to hold on to your material and you do one hour uh every two years you run it for like you know some back in the day people had one act that they did their whole career and that was like their act you know maybe they added to it but mm -hmm. he innovated in the space and started releasing all this content he gave a ted talk where he talked about how um he gave a ted talk yeah there's a tech talk of andrew Schultz talking about how he found that he would release an hour of material and people would watch the first 10 minutes and be like, okay, okay, yeah, that was good. 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> and that would be that would be what it was. And then he would talk about how he knew the game was changing when um, when he uh, was like talking to his nephew. And they were, he was like, hey, man, he's like, put the football game on, put the football game on. And he goes, what, what channel is that on? And, and he goes, oh, it's on ABC. And the kid goes, what channel is that? And he goes, right then, and it was over. <laughs> and it was over right there. I was like, okay, YouTube? <laughs> Something's happening. <laughs> He's very, but on the point of, like, he knew the game was changing. He recognized you, it very you know, early. I know you don't watch football because you said it was on ABC. Oh, was it? And, uh, oh, the NFL on? <laughs> CBS, Fox. What's on ABC? Uh, maybe N Monday Night Football at some point. The NFL on NBC? On, CB on NBC. CBS. What was on ABC, though? The NBA, game, he NBA, said, the NBA, NBA. He said, "Put the game on." It was the basketball game. It's just all right. You got me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know shit about it. Neither does he, but maybe he does. But he was just saying, "Put it on," and he recognized that the kid didn't know what ABC yeah, was. Yeah, no. Channel Seven. Yeah, like he just didn't know, mm -hmm. and he was like, "Right then, which I knew. is like, he's like, I knew. Okay, kids are not watching this shit. They're not watching TV anymore. I got to go somewhere else." 
And he spoke about how his dark place was... Um, Oh, but my point about his yeah. releasing an hour of material, people watch 10 minutes. He was yeah. like, so that would happen. So what I started doing was releasing four-minute clips. And I found that people would watch the first four-minute clip, and then it would take them to the next video, and they ended up watching hours of my stand-up. But I gave them a choice to opt out whenever they wanted, because mm-hmm. they were just four-minute bits. Like these, these clever release techniques That's of really how... And using the algorithm to its advantage. Where Adapting. It's like, and they would watch hours of Schultz. Even though they wouldn't watch a full hour special straight, they would watch hours of him in general because they would go to clips and clips and clips. So there were these clips circulating everywhere. Uh, and then he spoke about how... Uh, so that's, that's the, a great adap- ad- adapting uh, exactly. he, he didn't say my stand-up sucks right. or my special is right. not working. He said, mm, I'm going to try right. it a little differently, yeah. consume it differently. And then he spoke about how uh, he knew the game was changing, so he started shifting into the YouTube space, putting on all this content. I was going to say something else about... You know, he spoke about the different landscape of stand-up and how you used to go on the road and be just a road comic mm-hmm. and you'd hope to get on a sitcom. He's like, I don't want to act. I know. I was like, that's what I was supposed to do. I don't want to act. I can't act. I can't <laughs> act. <laughs> um, but he started doing Brilliant Idiots with Charlemagne and he was like received by the black community first before, even though he's a white comic, other yeah. you know white people audiences didn't know who he was, but through Charlemagne, who's like one of the premier voices in hip-hop today yeah. and commentators on this in this space, like he was introduced to that world. And then started doing that podcast, and then I think once he got on Rogan, was that like um, strategic? Of like, I want to do it with Charlemagne to introduce no, me I don't to think his so. audience. I don't think so. I think they. I think he just was in that space. He said, and his whole team is pretty diverse racially, so it was never an issue to talk about off-color things mm-hmm. and like blue comedy and darker comedy and controversial stuff. That was yeah. just his style, but. He was always doing crowd work and stand-up stuff. And anyway, it's it's a worthwhile interview to watch. And he just speaks about how he was going to this space that nobody was touching yet and really took advantage of it and now has Flagrant 2, the podcast that he does, and has built up this massive audience and started seeing his shows sell out on the road, not realizing that he had an audience, mm-hmm. not realizing that, uh, that this stuff was connecting with different people. And then yeah. once he went on Rogan, he said that was a big shift. But he had all this content there. Yeah. Once he got this visibility... All of a sudden, people came to this well of content that he had built up over the years. Yeah. Tons of clips and, and bits and jokes that went viral and things like that. And, and someone, his, someone just sent me a TikTok. They didn't know who he was, but they just a, sent me a TikTok. They're like, oh, this is a great take. Yeah, I was it was like, Andrew Schultz. This guy's name is Andrew Schultz, yeah. And and the the speaking to your story, he talked about the dark place he was in where, you know, like I would get, get you know, the seller and these, and these established stand-up uh, stand-up spots um, didn't want to like they wouldn't they, I think he might have been passed they didn't even want either they didn't want to pass him or these comedy clubs that they put on these big showcases and then he would be on but then then they wouldn't air his set mm. like they would put on these things so for, for media and he would be yeah. like they put me on I go on at the end and then I find out they cut me out of this out of the show and I'd be like what the hell what the fuck what is this you know and he'd get really frustrated and he's like you know you could either turn inward and question his own yeah. you know his own creativity or try to find a different way. And yeah. he found a different way. And I recommend this show. Colin and Sammy have really, really, really I'll cool stuff. We'll put it in um, the show notes. So fascinating story. Big fan of Andrew Schultz. Shouts to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 no, that really did. Uh, we did with how he sits. He just he sits. He completely splays out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, exactly. He's like, and I was like, he was like, I don't want to do TV. I don't want to act. I don't want to act. I want to tell jokes. I don't want to act. I only know one emotion, anger. I only know <laughs> anger. I mean, what else can I do? I can't, I can't be serious. I can't be serious. I can go, hey, what the fuck? For some reason, we can get angry. We can pretend to be angry. You can't pretend to be anything else. You can't pretend to be funny. Yes. 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 
And exactly. We, we met him after after the show. That was we, we saw this amazing lineup. It was Tim this was Dillon. probably the birth of our podcast. We don't know it yeah, yet, but this was I the beginning right. of our comedic journey together through this world. Yes. I didn't know anyone. I, I knew Tim Dillon was performing, so I was in LA and I we we went you were out visiting together. me when I lived in LA. Yeah, we saw. <laughs> and you said, "Ami, do you know who Tim Dillon is?" I was like, "No." <laughs> like he's this like anti comic comic. We should check him out. He's like a nihilist. He's really funny. So we waited in line for so long for that, we, that we missed Tim Dillon's set. We heard a tiny bit of who, him. by the way. He like I think the Gary Vee thing also yes. set you off. In no, a way. well, well, I didn't know. I you know he, we were online and we finally got in, but we could hear. It's a bad feeling when you get to a comedy show and all you hear is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're waiting. <laughs> People are dying and you're just like like being late to the movie. Yeah, you're just like oh I want to be in there right now because then you kind of have to like walk in late and go. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but he was doing a bit on Gary Vee. Yeah, you're like he's yeah, making yeah. fun of Gary Vee. I was like oh that's funny. Yeah. I I didn't do it. I hadn't done a Gary Vee impression yet. Oh you hadn't? No. Oh wow. And I was there was no TikTok then. Oh, that's TikTok didn't exist then. That's funny. You know? So we get in and we miss, we get the end of Tim Dillon's set and then who was it? it Tony was, uh, Hinchcliffe. Tony Hinchcliffe. Uh, and uh, the, the redheaded Santino. Fella, Santino Andrew, Andrew Santino, Santino. And Andrew Schultz. Closed. Andrew closed. Schultz closed. And it, it, the feeling in there was like, like this is the beginning of something. That's how it the felt. show was called Shadow Band because they had been the theme was they were getting yeah. kicked off social media. So after the show, it was an amazing experience, like yeah. going to like an amazing concert, and we're sitting next door at the, the Riri's. I remember the, the jokes. Yeah. The Riri's in the back. They put the Riri in a joke about like <laughs> mentally disabled kids, and he called them Riri's. Uh, I have a theory as to why there's more school students because we didn't let us pick on the Riri's. <laughs> I forgot that part. Yeah, I, I remember. Just, I remember the bits. vibe was amazing. We're sitting next door and we're drinking and we see these people walking out with posters from mm. the show. And we're both the type of people who are like, "That's for it. suckers to like buy buy mm. something at a show." But I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I asked someone, I'm like, "How much was that?" They're like twenty bucks. I'm like. We should buy a poster for 20 did. bucks. So we went back, we got these signed posters, and we got to meet all of them after the show. Mm -hmm. And they were all really nice. I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I hope Tim Dillon survives the year. He looks awful. <laughs> so he just does not, he's not a healthy person. You know what was striking to he's me? Sweating. There was lines to talk to all these comics. And I think it was like, I think Andrew Santino had a long line and Tony Hinchcliffe had a little mm. more visibility. So people were like talking to them. And I remember looking over at Tim Dillon, kind of sitting to himself. I don't know who was with him, but I didn't know him yet either. So I didn't, you know, he was just like, hey, how are you? You know, yeah. how are you? He, got, he, like, he had like a polo. He kept like, yeah. going like that. And, but he, he was, was just so sitting high. there. And you know today, you know, it would yeah. all, they'd all show up for Tim Dillon. I mean, I, Andrew Schultz too, but there would be no. a huge yeah. demand yeah. to see. Like he would have packed the place. And it's yeah. unbelievable to see because this was, I don't know, 2017, 2018? No, it was, uh, the it was 2019. 2019. It was December 2019. December 10th, 2019. Was it? it was oh. a few months before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there he was there. And I remember talking I to Andrew Schultz and I said like, dude, I, I think I kind of knew who he was vaguely from maybe Rogan appearances or something. Mm -hmm. But I said, you're a, I said, you're a craftsman. Like I've mm -hmm. never, the jokes are so tight. You're, it was, and he was like, appreciate you. It's hard. Appreciate you. Some girl was asking him to sign her boobs. I remember. <laughs> yeah, there and he was, was like, a he was like, there. he was like, oh, yeah. but he was just like, appreciate you, man. 
appreciate it. Very sweet, yeah. humble about it. The, and they were all very sweet. I remember asking him, like, I, I was sure he grew Schultz? up in Queens because of his accent. He said he grew up in the village. They were all mm-hmm. very, they're very, very, like, uh, polite and, yeah. like, just, like, appreciative sure. and very grateful. So, so you know they can, because they're nice guys, you know they would never do anything, like, weird or, like, off mm-hmm. or, like, or, like. Well, we got one impression, but still, I, I feel you. <laughs> I'm sure I'm saying that's what people say about oh. Rogan. He's a nice, he's the nicest guy. He would never do anything wrong. Well. <laughs> anyway, but no, they were all really, really nice um, and cool. And it, it's, I guess it was tough for you because you're like, I want you to know I'm not just a fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm also a fellow kind of do this, but like, you no, can't. No, no. Like, See, at the time, do I wasn't that? doing any comedy. Uh-huh. So I was a musician and I'm in the game a little bit on a different side of the coin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always have a tough time. I don't want to be perceived as just like, that was really good. We loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, want to kind of, and I think I, I spoke to like, I spoke to Andrew Santino for a while and we kind of just got past that like first like, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Like we started just talking about like Twitter and the nonsense of He's of, famous. He's really famous now too also. Yeah, he's now he's, Dave he's in and, Dave and yeah. all this stuff. It's been great for him. Yeah. Um, it's great to see. But I remember, like I remember that show making me really come to terms with, do I like want to do comedy or not? Because mm-hmm. I was also like looking at it like, what is it about the stand-up that I have a little bit of an aversion to? Like, what's preventing me from doing it? That mm-hmm. show made me question that a little bit because I'm looking at these guys at the top of their game, clearly mm-hmm. shaking with laughter. This room is, and like, this is like top-level stand-up. And there's a part of me that I looked over once at one of the guys working the club, and as jokes were killing, he was just like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, that worked," you know, like just kind of to himself because he sees this all the time. And you know, there's just. There was just something at the time where I, you know, there's an actor who was being interviewed on like Theo Vaughn or something on one of the podcasts who said, you know, stand-up's the hardest thing. I always say, he's like from The Sopranos. He's like, stand-up's the hardest thing. I always say it's the hardest thing. Why? It's because when they reject you on stand-up, they're rejecting you. <laughs> you. And that's not quite true. But if you think about it, when you do a, people don't like your acting. They're like, they don't like that character. They didn't like the writing. They don't like this. So there's a lot of things going on they might not like. You get on stage with the mic and they don't laugh. They don't like you. Whatever. So it's very personal. And I had a lot of trouble separating like me as a funny person versus the craft of writing jokes. Mm -hmm. So if something doesn't work, I think a a, a seasoned comic will tell you and even a starting out comic, whatever, sort of where I'm at now, it's something doesn't work. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm not funny or whatever it is. I don't like to get to that personal. I was able to, once I started doing my own stuff via TikTok and things like that, it was, I was able to look at comedy the way I look at music in that there's a creative pursuit here. And there's a craft. You're writing jokes. I heard this this podcast with Tim Ferriss interviewing Seinfeld, the way he talks about it. It's like, look, the joke didn't work. I have to rework the joke. But I'm not lesser for it. It's mm-hmm. just I have to put more time into the joke, you know? So mm-hmm. music has a way of not being as personal in that sense. Yeah. If something doesn't work, it's the song. Maybe it needs some work. But you don't feel personally destroyed. Some people do. Yeah. But for me, if I could get to that point, music offers that kind of protection a little mm-hmm. bit. And comedy, you're just exposed, and it's very obvious when, like, you can fake it with music where yeah. the crowd will groove along and forgive and kind of go with it, even if they don't quite understand it. But with laughter, it's yay, nay, mm-hmm. constantly. Vote yes, vote no. And a seasoned comic can kind of play with that too. Yeah. But I was able to get over that. It's not me that they mm-hmm. would be rejecting per se. Oh, so it's this guy just, was wrong. Which guy? The guy. Who, uh, yes, who, and yeah. he was speaking at it from an actor's perspective, why stand-up is so terrifying. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, that's that seems that way, but mm-hmm. what they're really rejecting is the material. You're the vessel for it, mm-hmm. and the performance, 
but it means the performance needs work or this. Not you as a person. You can still be a funny person and have stand-up that needs work. So let me ask you a question. Based on what Kanye said about he had to get in front of the mic to express the other 50%, Mm -hmm. are there things you feel like you can only express through stand-up? Like why why crafting jokes in stand-up? Why is that the way you want to get out your thought instead of through a song or a skit or something else? Mm. Like, like what, what do you think you're expressing through your jokes? Well, I've done it through songs you might for not years. Know yet. I've done it through yeah. songs for years. For me, the song expression is less personal. I don't really write or think about it from that place. It's more mm-hmm. like fun. I have a lot of fun playing music. It's very gratifying and entertaining. Um, I don't attach too much like personal expression to some of the stuff. I like, I try to express the idea sometimes or think about it. Like, what is this coming? What is it? How did this get across as an idea? Um, but I am like a performer at heart. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. I get off on that, at least on the musical side. Mm-hmm. The feeling of being on stage in front of real people and making an impact is a drug that I'm very into. You know, I'm, I like that. So I'm trying to see if with comedy I can get to that same place I can get to with music where it's sort of transcendent. That's a long ways away. Mm -hmm. But that experience, being able to do that in a comedic context would be something I think I could do. And I... I would enjoy it, like mm. hopefully. When it's get past the point of unpleasantness, mm. I want to get to a point where I can really enjoy so, it and express the funny that I, you know, it's like how do you get to a point where you're comfortable enough that like your joke writing, your stand-up performance is also a part of you, an extension mm. of you right. and your ideas resonating and making people laugh. So I, I think the good comics are not mm. only doing that, but they're expressing a point of view. Sometimes. That is. I think I think all the good ones are expressing a point of view. And I'm not saying political. Like Seinfeld's point of view is mm-hmm. like, I don't know, the I world understand. is silly. And like, but sure, but I feel like that's I mean? a given. But some people get mad. Oh, this comic, he tells funny jokes, but he has no real point to make. And I'm more of the I'm more of the school of thought when it comes to art where it's no, like not point. I'm not saying not saying a point to make mm-hmm. necessarily, but they all all the jokes come from a certain perspective. Yeah. No, you're right, right? It shouldn't necessarily Well, I, I take I that say, back. But I, I'm I trying to answer your question. Like what can I like I mean yeah. music music and comedy are just different things. They're different experiences. Well, I think and they're tapping good, into different things. I for think people. your jokes will probably take off when you figure out exactly what point of view or what point you're trying to make yeah i don't know i think yeah. it's more you know, just i, don't I think, think it's exposure therapy i think it's stage time i think so too i just I need so to be too. on it more and yeah. that's frustrating for me i'm not getting out of stage time that i'd like to get yeah and i think the right opportunities will demand it of me like if i get booked for something like a big corporate where i have to do like the funny thing which could be happening yeah. then i'll just like work stages like crazy and shows and stuff and get comfortable yeah. i think what would really happen is if i figure out at some point creatively how to fuse everything i've built up from a musical skill set yeah crossed with a comedic skill set that but i have to work that up i can't like bring one as a crutch to the other and musical comedy is always a little frowned upon i so i still want to make sure like my stand-up can hold its own Mm -hmm. so that when they're brought together they're complimenting each other and not having one carry the other Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but i don't want to deny all this stuff i've built up over the years abilities wise and skills wise as long as it can serve the comedy it clicked for me one day when i said you know what I don't have to like do a variety show. I just have to do music that makes things funnier. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I use the music and the stuff I can do to actually make the comedy funnier? Not, oh, here's some music and here's some comedy. That, yeah. that can never square for me. Yeah. But in general, the question, like, why am I called to do? Do I feel like I need to do it? No, or- that's that. That's not so much the question. No, because because I can, I can understand why someone would just want to be on stage and get mm-hmm. people to laugh. That yeah. that I get. But I guess I mean like. 
I think like it, I think if you talk to the great comics, they'll be they have a joke isn't just a joke. It's a it's a point that's best expressed through humor. Mm-hmm. So like when you think like you know like Patri- like Patrice would probably be something about racism or right. like or the the bullshit racism that 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 people like talk about or like right. Whatever it is, I don't think you could know that. I think you have to be doing that for a really, well, my, really long time. Yeah. But uh, that's that's. But my take point. on it is the first instinct that drives you to do it mm-hmm. is, oh, that's funny. That's it. True, true, but, but... Not beyond that. It's not like, I want to talk about racism in such a certain way that makes me... I really want to discover where that is. It's more like you are just on the... You're on the constant quest for funny. You're just digging for funny all the time. I've been writing jokes every day yeah. or, or trying to as a daily routine. I open up a little notepad and I just try to think. Yeah. You're looking for funny. Yeah. And that in its purest form is the quest. Like I want to make some, I, I'm, I, yeah. I want to I tell a funny joke or discover something funny or have a funny angle on something. It might be subconscious, but I, I'd have to say all the, every, every comedian on the stage we mm-hmm. saw – yeah. They may not even be able to speak about it articulately right. yet, but but I think like at a certain point in their career they'll be able to look back and be like, you know, what I was trying to do there was was like I had this thought like, how come women and men are really different, something like that, and like that that's what that joke was about, mm-hmm. and like I was able to craft like that's what's but funny it's all about a retrospect it. after the fact kind of thing. It's sort of like with music, it's like I just like the way that thing sounded, so I, I kept th- playing. I wonder. It. I would love. To, I would love to talk. And, and I'm not I'm Schultz, talking about like Schultz a master. had a take on Let's it talk in, to a master. Yeah, yeah, Schultz had a take on it in an interview. He's like, what comedy really is is providing a space mm-hmm. where we can say all the things we think, but not everyone can express. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks a, a bunch of things and a lot of things that are universal and not everyone can express them mm-hmm. or even knows that they're there. And the comedian's job highlights what can't be expressed, says it, and everyone goes and laughs. He said something really profound in, in the interview. He said, you can have politically correct actions and speech, but you can't have politically correct thoughts. It's impossible. It's just an impossible thing to have a thought that's politically correct. Mm-hmm. All your thoughts are politically incorrect in a way, and then we try our best to like behave in a, in a, and be decent to each other. But with comedy, it allows you to go to a space and just say anything as long as it's funny. And what makes it funny, it's like a hard subjective thing to, mm-hmm. to you know, put into words or you know, articulate. But it's really saying those things that everyone is sort of thinking, but not everyone can articulate. The comedian can. Mm-hmm. And then people go, oh, my God, that is true. That, yes, that's, I can't say that. But I can't, and not because I'm not allowed to say it, but mm-hmm. I haven't been able to formulate what that feeling is. And the comedian is putting it into a tangible joke. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it funny. You're like, yes, that's true. You know, so it has a little bit of relay. So there aren't even hard rules to it. Sometimes things are just ridiculous to watch and they're just funny. Yeah. But that's what you're really after, for me at least. I can speak for myself. Yeah. Like, I think comedy is the pursuit of, of funny, whatever, wherever yeah. that funny is, yeah. you know? It could be something mundane, something profound, something off color, something risky. I think you want funny. I think it would change. I, I think after you do a special to and you're able to consistently and reliably, you're just like, I know how to make a theater full of people laugh. It's mm-hmm. not like I know how to do it now. Right. I imagine something changes where you're like, I'm not. I don't just want to make. I, I I want to. I, I want to do it in a more sophisticated way. Sure. Pete Holmes talks about it. Yeah, sure. I'm, I, I'm sure there's I mean, yeah. people can speak to that too. Yeah. That's a ways away for me. I want to get on stage over and over again and get comfortable doing stuff that I and play with yeah, ideas. I don't mean to discourage you at all. I think that's exactly that's right. That seems right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I think about it from music wise, when I want to make a record or something, like what do I want it to say? I don't just want to make music for the fun of it. Like, what do I want the record to say? What kind of impact? Right. You can get to that point where you could think of things in a little more of a meta, like deeper sort of way. Mm-hmm. But I'm in that place now where I just want to get build up the muscle. Yeah. 
The last point I wanted to make, okay, because we're we're overtime. Mm-hmm. I right. think, yeah, it's, I it feels, know, that, feels way. that way. Feels that way. I don't know if you saw this SNL bit that was going around. I didn't. Okay, it was uh, John Mulaney was the host, and they did this bit where they're sitting around a table and COVID comes up, and it's that careful, careful. He's like, I just think maybe. While I think the vaccine clearly saved lives, yes, the vaccine clearly saved lives. Yes, uh, I've seen bits like that before. Yeah, I think they're really funny. Usually they I are. I didn't see this one. This yeah. one rubbed me very much the so wrong what way. Happened? Sorry, because they start what they're doing is the whole bit is highlighting how these conversations were so like treading on like walking on, through walking minefields. walking through on a tightrope yeah. to have these conversations, and he's like, "But maybe did we really need a third booster?" Ah! And everybody <laughs> freaks out. So it's funny, right? I get why there's okay. funny in it, but. I feel like SNL was on the side of woke culture overall. They mm-hmm. have been on the comedic side, at least, of, you know, they make fun of Joe Rogan for his ivermectin, some cheap, stupid joke. You they know. chose a side. They, they did, in a yeah. sense, and they chose a perspective where they weren't, they were all about sanctimony and, and judgmentalism in a lot of ways. And watching this bit, really, to me, being able to, like, say all the things that you demonized everybody else for having, these mm-hmm. opinions. Oh, that everyone's had for two years, and you called them a bunch of crackpots. You said they were worthless. They should be forced to get vaccinated. They should be for- And I don't want to go down the COVID rabbit hole yet, but I'm watching this bit, and it felt like I was watching the bully in high school go up to his victim that he's been tormenting for two years and say, hey, man, I was just joking around, you know, right? Like, I didn't mean any of that. You know, because I-, I agree. Like, I-, I shouldn't have been doing any of that. Like, mm-hmm. of course, like, masks don't really work. Like, yeah, I can't, I guess maybe the mask didn't really work. Without a- an ounce of sort of reflection and remorse and i'm not saying a bit should necessarily convey that but it just was full of that sanctimony mm-hmm. and that bu- that bully who was trying to get away with it right and trying to get off on eh, i was just we were just kidding around yeah. about all that you guys are and that yeah. that demonization was very real they for a lot of people joe rogan and like it, it wasn't not even just a, joe but and the way. average person yeah. was demonized for saying i have questions mm-hmm. you thought you had all the answers and now it's coming out as opposed to valid, you know, giving some vindication to the people and some, and you know, you have some, uh, you know, stuff to account for here, yeah. the way you've behaved, yeah. which was pretty despicable. Well, that that's kind of what goes back to the point I made a while ago about how when all that shifts, that that whole like they're going to need to like blame someone mm. for the way they had thought. And I mm-hmm. think that person's going to be Fauci. They're going to be like. Like, no, I, I hear what you're saying now. I was just listening to Fauci. Like, that's what <laughs> Fauci was saying. So, of course, I said that. And, and like, like, of course, like, we understand the vaccine's not perfect. I get it. But Fauci was saying otherwise. But the message I took away from this, what it represented to me, was them just trying to sneak on by and get away oh, and with. And not take any culpability. Yeah, not say, oh, it was yeah. Fauci. They were just saying, yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, like, we're, we're, we're totally with you. Like, it was just like the bully trying to get away with yeah. what he's been doing to his victim so wh- for for the last two years. And it's like, yeah, hey, CDC, you're coming now saying, so masks, as it turns out, kids are not really at risk. And we've been saying it forever, but yeah. you've been lo- putting our kids in masks and making people yeah. crazy for two years. And now you're just going to say, yeah, 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 it's fine now. Oh, oh, the science has changed. No, it hasn't. The evidence has changed. No, it hasn't. Yeah. The antidote to that are two emails I got this week. Yeah. Um, by two independent journalists. Mm-hmm. One was from Matt Taibbi, who sent a note to his readers. He said, hey, Yeah, everybody. so it turns out that the CDC <laughs> is just a corrupt institution. No, so we've about, known this, it wasn't, it wasn't about COVID. That was pretty good. But no, he, he <laughs> said, Listen, I know I told you all that Russia was not going to invade Ukraine, and I was wrong. Mm-hmm. He's like, The people I was speaking to told me otherwise, but like, 
I'm owning up to it. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about this one. I, I thought I, they I were totally you, bluffing, but it I'll turns out they were. Again. And then Sagar also on, on Breaking Points, he was like, I went on for weeks mm-hmm. about how Ukraine wasn't going to. I think it's Sagar, by the way. Sagar? Crystal calls Sagar. him Sagar. Okay, so Sagar. You were wrong. Now it's Kiev all of a sudden? <laughs> Sagar. I was Sagar. watching a clip because I started watching because of our, our buckle up feed Crystal on YouTube. And Sagar? Do I, Crystal did I just Sa- make that up? It's Crystal and Sagar. Oh, okay. Is it S it's S A A G A? Yes, Sagar. Sagar. I can admit I was wrong. <laughs> no, but no, but he said in the same way. He's like, I was completely off and like I apologize. And a lot of commentators I follow also owned up to it. It's like, I was wrong. They invaded. Yeah. Holy shit. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah. Um in like from big institutions. So instead of CDC saying we were wrong, they just say, The science has changed. They changed the language. And you're just like your credibility is just shot. Yeah. And this whole idea of just trying to get away with it. All of your sanctimony, all of your demonization. Now Jake Tapper can start speaking out on CNN. Like, this is kind of ridiculous. When when anyone who had questions was made to feel crazy. By was, you. Like, by, by these you. people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Made to feel like a Trump supporter, January 6th, stormed the Capitol person. Yeah. Made to feel anti-science. Yeah. You are not, we cannot let you yeah. get away with that. The way you behaved, you know, calling people anti-science. Yeah. How many other topics and subjects yeah. are you that sanctimonious about and that wrong on that yeah. you'll just come around and think you could just yeah. get away with These it? These things matter, though, because they yeah. have viewers and they have readers and readers, somewhere in their mind, they know. They'll pay like, the price. They know. Yes. Like, you were saying something else. The same thing with, like, the Black Lives Matters protests, like... On Monday, you were saying you cannot gather in groups, and mm-hmm. the next day they're going, these protests for Black Lives Matter are amazing despite COVID. I'm, I'm, I'm not commenting on that, but uh, people aren't stupid. They see it, and they go, there, there's something uh, missing here. I got into a conversation this past weekend with somebody who still couldn't see how – who, who had trouble seeing how the – ignoring the violence and property damage that was going on during the Black Lives Matter protests, mm-hmm. but fully understanding that in Canada they called a protest an insurrection. Mm-hmm. They were like, they're, ins- they're doing an insurrection in Ottawa. And then somebody was like, yeah, but like, I mean, how many people marched for BLM? It was like millions, right? So there was like a few things. And in this case, like they were like blockading the bridges, like clearly just buying the talking points of CNN. And I was like, Forget where you stand politically. You can't see that. And and to the person's credit, I was talking to mostly. He was like, "Yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't. Th- I think it was. I think it was wrong that that they that they called an insurrection. They should they should be able to protest in some respects to a point. But Biden did speak out against the violence of BLM. I'm like, no, he didn't. I mean, yeah, eventually he said violence in general is wrong. What a brave statement. Violence in general. He did not actively. There was no active condemnation or coverage of what was going on during those protests. They were deliberately lying as burnings were building behind them. It's mostly peaceful. And then in Ottawa, when it is mostly peaceful, they say, oh, I, we saw a Nazi flag and that gets all the coverage. So I just mean, yes, most people see through it. And I think the reason their their viewership, I think, is down, CNN's viewership is down 90%. 90%. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I, heard, I heard it's down 100%. I heard that. I heard that those were the numbers. Yeah. 90% have left. No, it's fine. So yeah, they pay the price. Yeah. But I, I just watched this bit as a representative of pop culture, the SNL bit, where it stood. Yeah. And while I wanted to give him credit for trying a funny bit, I'm like, I'm sorry, you named and shamed everyone who wasn't wearing a mask, the, the, the worst of COVID, that it, the COVID that brought out the worst in you and your judgmentalism towards others. And it brought out the worst in everybody, but you're not going to get away. With, I, I can't let it slide like that. You can pretend that this is just all, oh, we're just joking around. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that silly of us. It's like, you know. Well, it's John, like, it was manipulative it's like yeah. the abusive mother who says baby I was just joking I love you you know I love you but I was beating you for uh, for months and months and months over the head every time yeah. you came home you know mommy was just joking right I mean you know I love you it just seemed like a, 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 a 
you know, manipulative I, move. I totally hear it. John Mulaney's had his issues. He had has his issues. had his I can't He's do John Mulaney. Oh, don't even think about that. My God. I mean, I don't really, I don't know him enough to know, <laughs> but I know Seinfeld. there's something there. Yeah. But, you know, there was like the divide in comedy of the, of the you know, the sort of freedom fighting comedy and the comedy who was like in line with it's institutions. John Mulaney opened for Louis C.K., for, right. for a long time like right. i i wonder behind the scenes what those Ooh. what those sex were like like hey louis i'm i can't come out in defense of you but right. thanks for all your help did he say that i i oh. wonder yeah, i'm saying yeah. like they were friends and he helped him a lot the but he didn't like he's he's not on that side of the culture he's on the yes. institutional side right. well the delia thing was interesting because i right. didn't know who betrayed delia when he said you don't know who your friends are in this business until you know and then you don't know probably talking about whitney cummings i would imagine i don't know I that's think. like the gossip side know. of it yeah. but he's now back on with like the fighter the king and the sting right, and all this. so you it's revealed to you who is who he's still friends with totally so that was interesting yeah. but i remember at the time like even brian callen was saying you know i know chris but not like that well and i'm like are you like backing off of this but i guess not maybe they made amends i don't know i don't know what the least like the status of that scandal is but yeah. clearly he's out doing his own thing that with these whole podcasts. scene the like we talked about with pete holmes the pete holmes berbiglia mulaney yeah. nick kroll thing right. is like because like they're probably very cool but they've been so successful within the institution. mainstream institutions yeah like um I, I wonder what kind of feelings they have towards like I wish I like I wish I could just go on Rogan's show and have a good time and like mm -hmm. hang out with these guys because like like they're funny and I like them probably right. but well, I I wonder what that's like for them well I'll make a plug for a documentary I started called full capacity uh -huh. Sam Morrill's documentary which documents comedy through the pandemic from no comedy rooftops to 30 percent to 50 percent to 100 percent I'm like halfway through it one thing that's nice about it is it does show that there's still this community like there was an SNL comic there too at the clubs working it and they're like talking and they're friends. So they all come from a same similar school in a sense. For Joey sure. Diaz went off on SNL actors. They're not stand-ups. They're comedic actors, okay? They're not fucking stand-ups. They don't do the trenches of what we do, okay? Uh, get your fucking balls on the table, all right? It's Monday, bitches. Cocksuckers. But he, but he talked about them as a different class of actors, a different, a different class of comedians. They do comedic acting. They're not stand-ups. But some of them are. So yeah. his documentary does make it feel a little more like it's this I mean, broader Nick, community Nick Kroll just played uh Carnegie Hall I think yeah. he does stand up right right know? so I do think there's a camaraderie there still that maybe that we don't see yeah anyway yeah, well I, I want I'm interested in, in in what the green rooms are like very, very sure interested. yeah sure I don't think we'll ever find out but maybe I will yeah let's hope would you report back I guess you wouldn't because that's why it's we sacred? don't know about it because it's sacred yeah no I mean you just don't know how many established comics are you friends with well, you, they would talk about <laughs> on their podcast what? I would think they would talk about it on their podcast. Maybe you'll tell me in private. Uh, for I, the don't page, I don't for know. I don't know if it's only. Patreon only. The, the you secrets. hear the racist and the uh, the secrets. <laughs> the secrets stuff. of the green moon. Hopefully I'll be there soon and I can report back. That is episode 20. We had some energy today. Today was good. Today was good. Um, yeah. 20 is a nice number. We celebrate it. With a fingy? <laughs> With a fingy. <laughs> oh, that's episode 20, people. We'll see you Buckle episode up, baby. 21, baby. 21. Until next time. I hope the camera... <laughs>